Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 67th episode, and I'm here ahead of the Dutch Grand Prix. Yes, it might not feel like it yet, but it's race week again, guys, for another round of F1 in 2023. Hopefully, I, along with the King of the Take guys, helped bridge that gap in your lives with last week's 80-minute episode. What an entertaining one that was. I hope you guys enjoyed it, but we're back on schedule now for the second half, but before we talk Zandvoort. First, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, Breakbys Twitter, and my TikTok, which will be back up and running posting content uh, very soon. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now, let's get into the preview of the Dutch Grand Prix. Well, I always leave a little spot at the beginning of every preview for any news that's happened, and I did this exact same thing when Darnell and Kyle joined last episode, and I feel like it has been a really, really quiet summer break in terms of F1 news. Um, Of course, some news never stops, and and rumors are always swirling around the paddock, but uh, I feel like the biggest thing that has come out, and it is very... um, relevant to the Dutch Grand Prix is what has just come out from one of the organizers of the of the Dutch Grand Prix and that is that you know orange flares seem to be a talking point every time we come here Uh, a big issue really at all the Max Verstappen races which I guess is really just is really just Red Bull Ring and Zandvoort Um, but I would say it's especially bad at Zandvoort yeah, I guess Spa is kind of a max race, but I don't remember seeing any orange flares in Spa. I don't know. Anyway, Zandvoort, obviously, that's his home race. That's He's arguably the reason why they we even have a Dutch Grand Prix. Um, this year, according to uh, the director of... I, I, don't, I actually don't know his full title. I just saw that he was a director, and he's one of the organizers, so I'm assuming it's organized by a certain organization or group, and he is the director of that group. I don't have the name of that group, but uh, he says they will be clamping down on the flares. I would also say his name, but I would probably butcher it because it is a Dutch name and I don't know Dutch. Um, So I think this is probably a good idea. I mean, I feel like even, even Max himself, I think, has came out and said something along the lines of, of that the flares are dangerous. I, I can't remember. I swore something was said last year to try to even get his own home fans to chill with the flares. But plenty of people inside Formula 1, outside Formula 1, understand that these get to be a bit ridiculous. I think last year there was still like relevant racing going on, but because Max had crossed the checkered flag, you know, the entire track was orange and, and the drivers couldn't even see. Like, I think it was a real issue last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so this is definitely something that I think everyone should be on board with. We'll see how well um, that clamping down actually works because there's also some big protesters already starting to gather uh, at Zanvoort. Um, we know how that kind of happened in Silverstone last year so hopefully we don't run into any sort of crazy situation with that anyways all really fan stuff is in the news I guess at the moment Um, so let's get to more the on track stuff and uh, get to I guess always I I give my take on every track and, and what I think about it and to be honest Zandvoort how I see it of course it is a twisty kind of medium to high speed corner track. I would say it's 
a pretty interesting old school circuit. Not not sure how it really makes a lot of sense and even fits in modern F1. But I would say it has worked fine so far through the three races we've had here since its return. Um, I think the races have all been okay. None of them have been bad, um, but none of them have been stellar either, to be honest. And obviously this track is has its place in F1 because of Max Verstappen, as I previously said. Um, I guess also another thing infrastructure-wise that I think is an issue at this track, and it certainly was a talking point last year, is how tight the pit lane is. And I know um, changes aren't coming until next year. So keep an eye out for incidents in the pit lane. Like uh, I know Carlos got an unsafe release last year, and also Perez drove over the Ferrari wheel gun because they had left it out kind of lazily and Checo went right over it and I think it was kind of a big deal at the time of course I don't think Checo sustained any damage from it so he was fine but still it just kind of illustrates how tight it is in there and uh, I guess some renovations I guess are are set to come for 2024 I have read that Um, but this year will be the same as last year and what it was in 2021 we haven't had anything too bad thankfully but This is a kind of dangerous tight pit lane. So as I said, keep an eye on that because that could uh, potentially unravel someone's race if we get something going on in there. So speaking of last year, I guess, though, I always recap what happened in last year's race. And I think this one was an interesting one, although I will admit I probably didn't mention this on the podcast last year when I reviewed the Dutch Grand Prix, but maybe I did. I was actually away this weekend and I where was I? I I was somewhere watching some some baseball in in the states of course most of you should know that I'm Canadian I'm not American so I was away watching some baseball with with some family and I remember waking up in the morning in the hotel room and watching it uh, on the F1 app on my phone but then like we had to get going and I remember at this point like Hamilton was right in the thick of it battling with Max Verstappen and I'm like guys like come on like of course I'm I'm a Hamilton fan I've made that well known on this uh, podcast so to see him battling for a chance at an actual win um, some believed it was Hamilton's best chance at a win last year I would say United States probably was over this race but still he was pretty close and I had to stop watching the race and and pick it up later and of course I spoiled it for myself so I found out he didn't win and then I was very disappointed to find out he didn't even make it on the podium that's because that late safety car kind of unraveled Hamilton's race if you guys remember it actually dropped him outside the podium places as I said um and that late, that late safety car caused a whole crazy theory about Red Bull conspiring with Alpha Tauri that caused Sonoda's retirement, which is what brought out that VSC. Um, and it came out at the perfect time for Verstappen to make that pit stop under the VSC. It was really so stupid, wasn't it? I mean, I probably discussed it last year. I don't quite remember, but I can tell you right now, I definitely was on board with that being a tinfoil hat stupid theory last year, of course. Uh, Hannah Schmitz wasn't on the radio with Alvatari telling them to just stop Sonoda's car. I, I don't quite remember the details, but I do remember the retirement being a little weird. Like, I think he was in the pits and should have retired, but then he went back out and then caused a safety car. So it, it did look kind of strange. Um, and it was very unfortunate for, I guess, Lewis and very fortunate for Max because then they kept Lewis out and 
pitted George for softs, and I think George fought really hard for those soft tires. They gave it to him, and then it ended up um, working in his favor. He got P2, Charles P3, Lewis P4. But anyway, enough about last year. Let's get into this year. I, I expect Max to dominate this one, to be honest, uh, so I don't think the race will be as controversial as it was last year. Um, even with the forecast calling for rain again, uh, it just, when, when are we going to get another dry uh, weekend in Formula 1? It seems like it's it's been ages. I, I don't know why it feels that way, but it just does, kind of, doesn't it? Um, so I think the rain probably helps McLaren and if I had to say it hurts any of like the top teams in contention, I would say probably Mercedes, to be honest, um, who I think would be really strong here in the dry. But I feel like because this would probably be tight between McLaren and Mercedes on a normal weekend, I feel like the rain kind of separates them, those two a little bit more and, and gives the edge to McLaren in that battle. Um, I think Mercedes will probably be fine in the wet as it is because they have two great wet weather drivers, but I do feel like they're just a little bit more inconsistent when the rain comes where you kind of know what you're going to get from them a little bit more when, when it's dry. Uh, so without mentioning Ferrari and Aston Martin, I'll get to them in a second. What is my predictions or yeah, what are my predictions for the race? I would say in qualifying, I think if it's raining, this is where Max is most vulnerable, but I'm still going to give it to him on pole. He he drives this track brilliantly. This is going to be a huge weekend for him in terms of setting records, of course. He can get his ninth win in a row, equaling Sebastian Vettel's tally this weekend. He will be on it. I am certain of that. So I'm going pole. I'm going race win. Max gets his uh, record or record tying, I should say, Um Victory here, I think he's going to do it comfortably. P2, though, I don't have Sergio Perez. I'm going to go Lando Norris. And in fact, I'm even going to give it to the Mercedes boys, P3 and P4 here. I think rain hurts Perez. I think in the dry, he would always be more likely to get up there alongside uh, uh, Max. If it's raining and qualifying, I think that especially hurts him. It's not the easiest track to overtake. I would probably... I would probably say he he is likely to probably finish P4 or P5. I think Piastri could be in the mix here too because McLaren's going to be quick. Um, so it's safe to say that I don't think this is going to be a great weekend for Ari and Aston Martin. I think they'll be the uh, the next two uh, teams kind of falling behind there. Um, I will say that one of my bold predictions is that a Ferrari will be outside the points. Let's say I'll say Charles Leclerc. Um, with a mix of a bit of a puzzling, poor pace weekend, triple P's, and uh, of course a bit of bad luck. No no Ferrari or Aston Martin besides Lance Stroll, I guess, is finishing outside the points without a little bit of bad luck or just horrendously bad pace. So I'll say that's my bold prediction. Um, yeah, let's say Paris P5, Piastri P6, um, and then I'll say Alonso signs and, and Stroll P9 and we'll give it Gasly P10. So let's get straight into Brad's bets before I get into the final segment of the podcast. And you'll see what that is in just a moment. So no picks to review, of course, because I reviewed my Belgium picks um, in the review since I knew it would be a while since we got to another race preview at the summer break. Um, so my picks, I, I really like Lando Norris on the podium with McLaren. Look, look, this looks like the perfect track for them, to be honest. Um, 
And with rain coming, I really think that even if Checo does have a good weekend, I, I think Lando has a very good shot at being best of the rest here. So I like plus 115 for a podium for him. Um, even though in my predictions that I just kind of handed out, I had Alonso P7. I do still think top six, top six is a very, very um, real outcome for him. And to get him at plus 175 here, this is still, you know, I think Aston Martin suffers at the tracks where you're going to need a lot of straight line speed. And this is a track that should, I think, in theory, be pretty decent for them. Of course, they have made that step back, and it's a bit puzzling where they're going to be competitive moving forward. But Alonso is always going to get the most out of the car. And if Aston is even close to that mix with McLaren, Mercedes, and Red Bull, he'll be up there with them, and not to mention Something has to happen to one of those six drivers, and he's probably next to to grab that spot. So plus 175 is great odds for that. Um, Gasly, I have him plus 120 for points finish. Now, admittedly, I don't like this one as much as I like Alonso and Lando. However, Gasly has always performed well here. Um, In 2021, I think it was one of his best races of the season. Even though he got that podium in Baku, he was sensational here. Um, I think he will outperform Ocon. That P10 spot is really going to be up for grabs, uh, I think. So, yeah, he'll he'll be battling with the likes of his teammate Stroll, possibly a Williams. I don't think this is going to be a great Williams track, though. So I think points is, is definitely a possibility for him. So plus 120 is not too bad there. Plus 120 again for both Mercedes in the top six. That's only on Bet365, though. Um, big fan of that one. And again, on Bet365, plus 333 for a red flag. Now, you're probably thinking, we haven't had too many red flags this year. Why are you so confident that it happens here? And I figured this out in 2021. And this was one of my biggest bet wins that I've ever had, besides, of course, the infamous Leclerc pole position, the debut of break bias uh, bets this uh, season, I figured out that because of the gravel traps in Zandvoort, you're actually unlikely to get a safety car here, Um, you know, unless it's a a Sonoda-type retirement where he just pulls over to the side of the track. Then, of course, that's not going to spit up any gravel. But if anyone actually has an incident, it is going to put gravel all over the track, which is more likely for, for the race directors to just red flag it instead of safety carring it. So that is where I'm going with it. If there's going to be a safety car, I feel like it gets red flagged for plus 333, you know, and also because of the history of this season so far, not having too many red flags, you're getting it at, at a kind of boosted odds. So I don't mind this one at all either. There, those are my, uh, my five picks. And of course, the long shot of the week, I'm going with pole position Lando Norris. I think this could be a big weekend for him, of course. Like I said, McLaren-type track with the rain expected. I just think it opens up that window a bit. I still expect Max to do it, but these are some juicy odds for something that I think could definitely happen. So there you have it. Now we get into the second half of this podcast episode where I play the three-word game. It's the return of the three-word game, and this one is the second half outlook. You'll see what I mean in just a second. Okay, so a reminder for those who are new to the podcast or just don't remember what the three-word game is. So basically, I pick a topic, like I said uh, in the segue, 
it is all about how I view the second half, what uh, I expect to happen. So I'm going to do the 10 teams and I have to describe what the second half is going to be like or just three words to to um, not necessarily describe, but I think what the teams have to aspire to do or strive for, I should say. Um, you'll see. So I'll explain each of my picks. We'll start from the top and work our way down for Red Bull. Three words for their second half. I've chosen going for history. Um, of course, this is alluding to their potential to clean sweep the entire season. No, it's never been done before. The closest was, of course, the McLaren uh, of 19... Oh, I should know this. I should definitely know this. I know it's the MP44. Is it 1989? It's 88 or 89, I believe. I don't know. I should actually know that. But anyway, Red Bull's going for that history. There's going to be plenty of other records along the way. Of course, it's the second half is starting off with a record. Abu Dhabi, if they go into that with a perfect record, it's going to end off going for a record. There's going to be plenty of records in between. I don't think they're going to take their foot off the gas because of all these records that they could have. Um, there's always something to strive for. Red Bull is a relentless group. They're going to continue to try and build on this car without even using wind tunnel time like Adrian Newey did um, with, uh, what, what was that upgrade? I don't, I don't even remember, but that absurd, uh, I think it was the cooling or new cooling inlets that they brought to Hungary. They didn't even use wind tunnel time for something ridiculous like that. Um, so they're going to continue to be relentless in, in developing next year's car with the wind tunnel time they have. They're going to try to break through all the records they can. Max Verstappen is not going to stop because he is just a machine. So Red Bull, this entire second half, is going to be going for history. Now Mercedes, P2 in the championship currently. They're in a bit of a weird zone where I think they're probably the most consistent team of like the next tier, which is now Mercedes, Aston Martin, Ferrari, and McLaren. However, they just seem to be a bit lost. Um, at least that's what I've gathered from their development direction. Uh, hopefully, they at least know that they where they have to go in the winter. So that's why I've chosen when is 2024 because i feel like this is already a bit of a lost season for mercedes yes they can try and develop or make some small steps uh in this second half and see if they work on the car because that you know those steps can be taken into into next year but i feel like they've already made a lot of big uh, uh moves already this season which you know some people have been speculating i think that mercedes has to be close to the cost cap soon um which I wouldn't be surprised if they are. So I think it's just going to be about maximizing the weekends that they can for the rest of the year and hopefully, again, looking to make that sort of large jump in the winter. I think 2024 is probably already a lost season for everyone too. Red Bull's just so, so far ahead. So hopefully they make a step next year and 2025 is when they can finally compete with Red Bull before we get new regulations and, you know, the order could potentially be reset again. So, yeah, I think Mercedes is definitely counting down the days until next season, or at least they can't count down the days until the winter because there's going to be important work done until the winter and to be prepared for the winter. But I feel like for Mercedes fans at least, we're anxiously waiting for next year and, and just praying that the team finds something 
over the offseason. So let's move on to Aston Martin. P3 in the championship, I think, really, they're, they're going to be looking to do one thing in this second half and hoping to do it at this race or at least Monza or within the next few races, and that is just finding their form because they have seemed to, of all the top teams, at least made the least of a forward step. Um, some people think they've actually made a backward step. I think they've just been in the mud, to be honest. I, I don't think they've gone backwards, really. I think they put some developments on the car that have confused them. So I guess, in a sense, it is a bit of a backward step because I feel like they're a bit more lost now than what they were, where it seemed to have it'd be a bit more clear where they were going with the car at the beginning of the season. Um, but in terms of the actual competitiveness, I think everyone else has just gotten better and, and Aston's in, in the mud. So hopefully, if they really have to, you know, take those developments away and go back to their original spec to, to understand where they have to move forward that then they should do it they they just need to find their form again it's really all i can say because they're not going to move forward until they understand what they've just done to this car because it's very puzzling and like kyle said last week he is very worried for aston martin i said and darnell agreed i'm not too worried about them if even if they don't find their form this off uh this second half of the season sorry the off season should be a good one for them and I feel like that will be a great opportunity for them to make another big step like they did this year they're still ahead of schedules that's why I couldn't give them the demise of the second half I think that was a crazy statement I think they're arguably closer to the the prize of the second half um what I sorry not the second half the first half I apologize I think you know what I was trying to say anyway but yeah so they just need to try and get back on top and uh I'll just segue right into Ferrari because I think it's similar for them it's not quite finding their form because I feel like they have actually made some improvements on the car. Like looking back to Canada, all of a sudden their tire management was spectacular and they have showed flashes of of having some decent race pace, which was you know a problem for them at, at times this season and last. Um, but I've gone with more improvements needed. Of course, um, it's not just about the pace of the car that needs improvements, just the whole team operationally needs to improve strategy I think has actually made a step because they were that bad last year however it's easier to be good at strategy when you're not under the pressure that they were last year so I'm not confident that if they were thrusted into a title fight with uh, with Red Bull again that they would be able to make better strategy calls this year I still think that's an issue um, so uh, I feel like just overall they need to take this year while they're not competitive to just get better at those things and I, I and it's it's easier said than done because I think ultimately it is um, kind of an organizational issue it's not something that's easy to address however they need to do what they can because those are just operationally they are probably the worst even worse than Aston Martin I would say of the top teams um, I do have faith in them to I, I think they're like a brilliant technical team I'll say that I, I think development wise they have been um, also in the mud for the past while, possibly even a decade. They don't seem to develop the car really well, um, but it, do se- it does seem like they can come up with, with great designs. So, yeah, I don't know if they're, they're already just eyeing up 2026 or not because I feel like they I, I wouldn't really back Ferrari to challenge with this rule set again. I feel like Mercedes is definitely the team to do it. And if not, I would pick the dark horses of Aston Martin and McLaren over Ferrari. So 
really operationally they need to improve and uh, I think they've made some steps this year very minor steps so they need to just keep that going McLaren I've gone with Red Bulls challenge because at the moment I think in the second half um, you know I think Darnell was the one who pointed out that there's going to be some tracks that are are questionable for McLaren in the second half if he didn't say that then I'm not sure where this is coming from but I think there is um, cause for pause, uh, if that's even a saying, um, with McLaren. I think the hype has maybe gone a little bit too far. However, I still think at certain tracks, like Zandvoort, like um, Qatar maybe, uh, Suzuka, I think if there's any team that's actually going to really challenge Red Bull for a race win, I think it is McLaren. I think when McLaren, that car, is uh, is playing to its strengths, I think it is actually the most competitive. I just think it has some glaring weaknesses where the Mercedes just is overall a decent package, just slower. So I think, yeah, when, when the McLaren is in that right window, it is definitely the closest thing to a Red Bull at the moment, which is crazy. So what a step they've made. I've gone for Red Bull's challenge for them, not to mention they have two fantastic drivers that can absolutely take it to Red Bull if they get the opportunity. Now we take a massive step downwards in the championship to Alpine where I've just I've just called it cleanup hour because what a nightmare first half of the season they have had. They've basically gone through an entire overhaul of their team structure um so yeah they're they cleaned house and even though they, i guess they've already done the cleaning in a way i just i just went with cleanup hour because they still have a lot of you know hiring and just thinking to do with the direction of this team i think some people have already started speculating whether alpine is even going to stay in the sport because it doesn't even seem like they really want to be in formula one that badly um so they have a lot of figuring out to do, and they just need, basically need to clean up their act behind the scenes in order for the, you know, the Endstone-based unit to thrive at the track. So that, that's really all I got to say there. For Williams, I've gone with Lookout Monza. Um, in reality, I think you know this is a, I could have gone with a couple things for Williams. I think this is the second half they'll be looking forward to, and they'll just be trying to uh, continue to make steps, understand this car, make some key hires. I know they hired... Pat Fries, their CTO. They still need a technical director, though, I believe. Um, and, of course, I just went with Lookout Monza because Alex Albon did not get to race here. It's probably their best chance to score big points and really secure that P7. That would be huge for the team. So, Lookout Monza because Williams is coming um, in just a couple weeks' time. Now, Haas, um, another th- couple things I could have gone with here. I've went with uh, any sprints coming because... Really, I feel like that's really their only chance to score points. Um, they're so good in qualifying. I shouldn't even say so good. They're they're pretty uh, solid in qualifying, uh, but their tires are just a mess. So unless they can actually make a really big change um, and, and fix that issue, which I don't think they're going to be able to do, um, really I feel like sprint weekends are their best chance to score because if they can get up there, um, they might be able to hold on to their tires over, you know, one stint of a race um, instead of having to do an entire Grand Prix distance where at the end of stints they just lose way, way, way too much time and fall out of the points far too often. So, um, of course, anything can happen. Um, if they're able to get their tires working at any one race, then they could be at the bottom end of the points. 
But the issue for them now, too, is that there's just so many good teams. You know, there's a top five teams. Then there's Alpine, who's still quicker than them. And then the rest of them are fighting for the scraps. So this battle with Williams is going to be tough. But when a track like Monza is coming up and Williams does have a really good chance, and possibly even Vegas, you know, that looks like to be a very power-hungry circuit, too. I would say Williams, because they have that obvious strength, have a better chance to pick up, you know, a point or two than Haas. So they'll be looking to not only try and claim that P7, but also hold off Alfa Romeo, who seems to be a complete wild card in this as well. So let's go straight to them. And I've gone with bring on Sauber. I think they've probably had the worst season of any team in Formula One so far, um, just because of where they were last year. And they have made absolutely no progress since their amazing start. And I've just gone with bring on Sauber because, frankly, I'm kind of just bored with this team. Um, I think their drivers are bored. I, I love Valtteri, but in terms of his actual performance on track, he doesn't really do it for me at the moment. I think he's been a little bit disappointing since the start of, of last year. Joe, I think, was a pleasant surprise in this rookie season. He hasn't really made any real step, in my opinion. He's always just been kind of solid. He's not going to make stupid mistakes during a race unless um, Hungary was one exception, which was a disappointment because stalling on the grid wasn't his fault but then I feel like he was flustered and that's what caused him to uh, punt the Alpines however I just think raw pace wise Joe isn't quite it so maybe when they move on to Sauber we see a Teo Porcher join the squad I'm not sure if it will happen though Um, yeah I just feel like something needs to change here because whatever is going on it's not really working they don't have the greatest drivers and they're not getting better with the car either so yeah, um, bring on Sauber and then really bring on Audi. So Alpha Tauri, of course, last in the championship by a decent margin. I think it's going to be really tough for them to get out of P10. Um, so I think this second half is not so much about trying to get into that mix with uh, with Williams, Haas, and Alfa Romeo. I think this is all about their drivers and learning about what they have here. So I've gone with Daniel versus Yuki. We talked about this last episode where I think we all backed Yuki Tsunoda to slightly outperform Daniel, but it's not even, this isn't about who I think is going to be better. I just think that, you know, Red Bull, Helmet Marco, um, their junior academy, they're all going to be eyeing how this uh, a battle plays out. If it's really close, I feel like that's a good thing for Yuki more than it is a good thing for Daniel. I think for this second half to go Daniel's way, he has to consider considerably outperform Yuki, and then if that does happen, I don't think Yuki is is um, screwed. I don't think he's out of a seat even in 2025, unless of course he has a nightmare season then, because I think he's still dri- uh, driven fine. But I think how Daniel performs mostly is going to be the measuring stick for both, of course, Daniel and for Yuki. Um, if Liam Lawson is going to join the team at any point. It's going to come down to how Daniel performs because if he's a nightmare, then I think they they might give Lawson a shot. We'll see. Um, so I just think, yeah, this the second half is going to be all about that driver pairing and how they fare, even more so than the actual performance of the car. Although, of course, the team behind the scenes is not going to say that. They're going to be working hard, like any other team, to uh, get back on the pace. So... Yeah, that is, uh, that's going to be this podcast. Well, before I wrap up, actually, I just wanted to share that I actually started reading Gunther Steiner's book, Surviving to Drive. Um, I've been meaning to get reading more, um, and I thought, you know what? I have never 
you know, read any Formula One books or anything. And I, I've heard great things about this book. So um, while I was just in a bookstore with uh, with my girlfriend, I was like, just give me a sec. I actually want to go check out the sports section just to see if they have any Formula One books. And there you have it. Adrian Newey's How to Build a Car was there. And then Gunther Steiner's book, Surviving to Drive, of course. So I figured I would go with Steiner's book first. And if I really like it, then I would check out uh, Adrian Newey's famous How to Build a Car I'm about 110 pages in so far of Surviving to Drive, and honestly, I'm really liking it. I think it's a a great read. It's really cool. Gunther is just a hilarious dude, as many of you guys know. Um, I've heard the audiobook is even better because it's read by him, and, you know, that accent that he has is just so iconic. So even when I'm reading, it's funny how he spells some of the words, um, like, Trouble is spelled trouble because that, that's how he would say it in his accent. And same with uh, Foking. <laughs> it's not F-U-C-K, it's F-O-K. So, uh, yeah, the book, if you guys haven't heard about it, basically, instead of writing a story or, or um, yeah, it's not like an autobiography. It's more like it's a year in Formula One where he, every once in a while, um, I would say in the off season, they're further between um and then during the the race year um kind of on friday saturday and sunday he just takes the time to write a couple paragraphs about what he did that day and tells a few stories um and this is all about the 2022 season so we get the return of kevin magnuson all the drama with the mazapins and of course ural kali or whoever you say it um with uh, russia invading ukraine um just some very interesting stories there So, yeah, if you're uh, into reading, I would say it's a very, very enjoyable read. And because the book is is kind of organized in little journal entries, it's very easy to read as well. Because if you if you don't like to read a whole bunch at once, then you can just read a couple journal entries a day and just pick away at it. And it's really, really nice. So, uh, yeah, just thought I would share that with you guys because uh, I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And it is really an awesome read. And it's always a joy to to learn more about this sport that I love. So. That will do it for episode 67 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back next week to review the return of F1 after the Dutch Grand Prix. I left last week's episode off the exact same way. Max Verstappen will be going for a massive record at his home race. Can he do it? I think the entire Formula One world will be watching him. So goodbye.